Hello, welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 154. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. It's 2019, y'all. We made it. We're into the dregs of January. The holidays are over. You've gotten rid of your relatives. Life gets back to normal as you know it. Okay, I'm kind of lying, because... For you, it's January. For me, Christmas hasn't even happened yet. I'm kind of banking these episodes because it's the holidays coming up for me and travel and whatnot. So I'm getting this one done early. But I'm assuming I had a good holiday and I'm assuming I've gotten rid of my relatives by now. So things are back to whatever passes for normal for me as well. All right, well, let's get on with the show. I'm not going to bother, I guess, with a Mad Mike Hughes update. Like I said, I'm banking these shows. So I just looked at Mad Mike Hughes' stuff, that sounds weird, recently, and there one still wasn't anything to report. Maybe something has happened between what is real-time for me and what is real-time for you, but I will catch up on that with the next episode. So even though it's still early January, I will put a plug in for my year in review, 2018. Every year on my blog, which still exists, williamallenpepper.wordpress.com, I post a review written in the style of classic children's book, Good Night Moon, by Margaret Wise Brown, where I recap things that have gone on in the year gone by. This time, 2018, which seems so long ago for you, I know. But that post is still up there. Go check that out. Thanks. I heard from, recently, recently for me, Tim Slauson, at Ox Coffee on Twitter. And for what it's worth, he put in his vote for a new merchandise item in the uh, Atari Bytes store, which is going to, in 2019 at some point, undergo a um, renovation. Going to come up with some new items. And I put out a call in a recent episode for you guys to suggest some things you would like to see. I threw out offhandedly, you know, if you guys want uh, Atari Bytes themed panties, maybe I can figure out a way to do that. And Ox Coffee is all for that. So, thanks. There's one vote. Um, If anyone else would like to see lingerie, in the Atari Byte store. You know what? I'm a pretty open-minded guy. Uh, maybe we can we can see what we can do. Or if you have more traditional ideas. Mugs, uh, beer steins, stickers, tote bags, shirts. Or, you know, think outside the box a little bit. Uh, other stuff you'd like to see. Let me know, and uh, we can make that happen in 2019. All right. Well, let's get on with this week's game. This week's game is Human Cannonball. Yep, we're reaching way back into Atari history for this one. Uh, It's a 1978 game where it says right on the package pretty much what the game is. You're playing a human cannonball. We're using the joystick for this one with the red controller button in the upper left-hand corner toward the television screen. Helpfully. They're assuming in the manual that you're not playing with your back to the TV, which you could do if you're showing off. Hey, it's Jill. She just walked into the room. Oh, it's me. She's talking on the podcast. I know. I'm going to do laundry. Darn it. I thought I'd get her on the show finally. Wait, come back. Nice try. Darn it. I thought maybe that would happen in 2019. Oh, well. It's not 2019. Yeah. It is when they're hearing this. I already explained that to them. Well, you didn't explain it to me. Now she's arguing with me. Man, how to play Human Cannonball. Careful now, the human cannonball is counting on you to make your calculations accurately. Otherwise, he'll end up flat as a pancake, and you'll end up with zero points or a miss 
to show for it. The objective of the game is to shoot the man out of the cannon and into the water into the water tower. To accomplish this, you must consider the following variables. The angle of the cannon establishes the line of arc of trajectory the man follows after being shot from the cannon, the speed in miles per hour at which the man travels after being shot from the cannon, the distance between the cannon and the water tower. These variables are set by you and or the computer, depending on the game you're playing. In some games, the cannon position remains fixed throughout the game. There are eight game variations in all. Each game variation contains a one and a two player version. See game matrix on back cover. All right, hold on. Okay, can you see in the back? Excellent. So you can select a game. When you're looking at the screen, there's a number in the upper left-hand corner, which is the game number. The upper right-hand corner shows the number of players. Below that is the angle of the cannon. Miles per hour is also on there as well. Um, some games have a moving window, basically this solid line broken up by little open sections, which is the window, scrolls up and down the screen, and you can, to add an extra layer of difficulty, shoot your guy through that window into the water bucket. And then the water tower is just a little rectangle on two little legs at, uh, at the other end of the screen. Use the joystick controller to adjust and set the game variables. Press the red button on your controller to shoot the man out of the cannon. In games where the cannon angle can be adjusted, the joystick works as follows. Can everybody see the diagram? Alright, good. The minimum cannon angle for all games is 20 degrees. The maximum angle is 80 degrees. The cannon angle is shown near the top middle of the screen. Basically a little, how would I describe it? A little triangle thing. Um, you know, like a, like a line, like a little triangle thing with the top of the uh, triangle moving up and down depending on what the, uh, what the angle is. There's probably a better way to say that, but I'm blanking on that at the moment. The cannon itself only approximately shows the angle. Yeah, the, the cannon didn't look to me like it ever actually moved. In games where the speed can be adjusted, the joystick works as follows. The maximum speed for all games is 45 miles per hour. It is possible, but not practical for scoring, to adjust the speed down to zero miles per hour. The speed is displayed near the top of the screen, just above the cannon angle. Example, miles per hour equals 38. I'll be honest. I didn't mess a whole lot with the miles per hour or the angle thing. I did move the water tower a little bit when I was messing around with this game earlier. If you really wanted to spend some time with it, you could. I mostly just wanted to shoot a guy out of a cannon and maybe or not make him land in a water bucket. But let's go on. In games where the cannon's position can be adjusted, the joystick works as follows. And then there's another diagram. In games 1, 2, 3, and 4, the water tower can be moved back and forth, which is what I did after the man is shot from the cannon. In these games, the joystick works as follows. See another diagram. Aren't you glad this is an audio podcast? Games 5, 6, 7, and 8 have a moving window, this is what I mentioned earlier, which is positioned in front of the water tower on the screen. Time your shot so that the man travels through the window en route to the water tower. The water tower cannot be moved in games 5, 6, 7, and 8, so don't even try. In one-player games, you score one point for each successful shot. The computer records one point against you for each miss. Your score is shown on the top left side of the screen. The number of misses is displayed at the top right side of the screen. The game ends after seven successful shots or seven misses. In two-player games, each player scores one point for a successful shot. Misses have no effect on scoring. The first player to score seven points is the winner. After a player scores seven points, the second player gets one more turn before the game ends. The left player's score is shown at the top left. The right player's score is shown at the top right. And then there's a handicap, the difficulty switch. It is easier for the beginning player to start with the difficulty switch in the B position. In the B position, the water tower is twice as wide as it is when the switch is in the A position. 
Use the left difficulty switch for one player games. And then the last page of the manual is that matrix. Basically, in all the games there are certain variables that can be chosen at random by the computer or chosen by the player. And other variables are fixed. The variables being cannon position, miles per hour, cannon angle, movable tower, movable window. Moving window. And that is how you play Human Cannonball. You guys ever see Cannonball Run? Nothing to do with this game. I just thought I'd ask. Atari Protos observes that the Sears release of this title, Cannon Man, is one of the hardest Sears carts to find. Interesting. The first paragraph of the review reads thusly. Back when computers were only available at universities and calculators cost $300, the ability to crunch large numbers was seen as high-tech. Atari capitalized on this by releasing Human Cannonball, a trajectory calculating program thinly disguised as a game. While Atari may have thought this was hot stuff, gamers were less enthusiastic. The review compares this to games called Artillery Duel and Scorched Earth, which I'm not familiar with, although noting that Human Cannonball is not as violent as those games. Although, it, no violence except for crushing your guy into the ground. I guess if you're a fan of calculation games, Human, human Cannonball isn't all that bad, but the one-player vari variation grows boring pretty quick. Blocky graphics don't make you want to stick around for long. Two-player versions can be fun in short spurts, but usually the game generates in a contest to see who can spit their man, splat their man in the most painful way possible. So what inspired a video game called Human Cannonball? Well, a Human Cannonball act is a performance in which a person acts as the cannonball ejected from a specially designed cannon. The Human Cannonball lands on a horizontal net or an inflated bag placed at a landing point, as predicted by physics. Outdoor performances may aim at a body of water. The first human cannonball, launched in 1877 at the Royal Aquarium in London, was a 14-year-old girl called Zazzle, whose real name was Rosa Matilda Richter. She was launched by a spring-style cannon invented by a Canadian, William Leonard Hunt, and later toured with P.T. Barnum. The cannon used rubber springs to launch a person from the cannon, limiting the distance he or she could be launched. Richter's career as a human cannonball ended when a launch went awry and she broke her back. In the 20s, Ildebrando Zucchini invented a cannon that used compressed air to launch a human cannonball. He shot his son Hugo Zucchini out of a compressed air cannon, and members of the Zucchini family were later inducted into the Ringling Brothers Circus Hall of Fame. And that's Zucchini, by the way, not Zucchini. It appears that the longest world record for the, the world record for the longest human cannonball flight is 193 feet 8.8 inches, and that was done by David the Bullet Smith Jr on the set of a show called Lo Show Di Record in Milan, Italy, on March 10, 2011. The distance was measured from the mouth of the cannon to the farthest point reached on the net. He was launched by an 8mm, or 8mm, yes, a very tiny little cannon, an 8-meter long cannon. Estimated they traveled a speed of 120 kilometers per hour, with a maximum altitude of 23 meters. However, there is a contradictory claim that his father, David Cannonball Smith Sr., set a record of 200 feet 4 inches on August 31, 2002 at the Steele County Free Fair in Owatonna, Minnesota. It is estimated that Smith Sr. traveled at 70 miles per hour during the flight. So I said that uh, the cannon uses a spring or a jet of compressed air, making it work more like a catapult, but in a searcher's performance, gunpowder may be used to provide visual and auditory effects unrelated to the launching mechanism. Fireworks and smoke may also be used to increase visual effect. I know the holidays are over and you're not sitting around the dinner table, but here's a little piece of trivia you can use at your next gathering. The largest retailer of the human cannons is located in Greensburg, Pennsylvania. 
and they provide approximately 80% of all human can, human can catapults. More than 30 human cannonballs have died during the performance of the stunt, the latest of which was apparently in Kent, United Kingdom, on April 25, 2011, where the person died as a result of the failure of the safety net. Landing, apparently, is the most dangerous part of the act. It's kind of like how you don't need to be afraid of heights, you just need to be afraid of falling from them. Okay, well, after the break, remember in Monty Python and the Holy Grail how they catapulted cows over the castle walls? And that was a good movie. Nothing to do with this game, really, but I just don't think there have been enough Monty Python references in this podcast. Well, that checks off 2019 New Year's Resolution number 43. Nailed it! After a devastating Pirates of the Caribbean-related accident, a cannonball underwent an experimental procedure. The scientists knew they could rebuild him. They could make him faster, stronger, rounder. They could give him emotions. They could give him a purpose. They could give him a fondness for Twinkies. In short, he would become the human cannonball. Okay, so for simplicity's sake, for this field report, I'm playing simply game one. Looks like we're uh, going 40 miles per hour. Um, let's see what happens. So I'm looking at a tank. Just your basic uh, garden variety tank that we all have in our backyard. There's the water tank, the water bucket, what have you, uh, a little ways away. Let's, uh, let's throw some people around. There I go. Clunk. I made it. I hit the edge of the tank, but I made it into the tank. Yay, he's so happy. He waves his arms. It's very cute. Oh, ow. I like when your guy smushes on the ground. There's some uh, squiggly lines above him. I don't know if they're supposed to be words. I can't make it out. I am uh, imagining that he is using um, less than family friendly profanity. I would if I got shot out of a cannon. And smacked into the side of a tank. Don't judge me. You would too. Alright, let's keep going. I tried to move the tank. The tank moves really slow. It's almost impossible to move the tank fast enough to catch the guy if he's not going to go right in. Because that seems to be the pattern. Either your guy sails out of the tank, out of the cannon, way the hell over the tank, and you're never going to catch him. Or he hits the side of the tank, and if you're lucky, he falls in. Like that. Ow. Except he didn't fall in. Um. Yeah, I caught him. Yeah, he's so happy. I'm not dead. I imagine it's what he's saying. Yeah, I caught another one. Ooh, that guy wasn't so lucky. Neither was that guy. He crashed off screen. He's in the stand somewhere. Uh, lying on top of your grandma. Picture that, kids. Alright, that was the end of the round. I like the game. I like the look of it. Everything looked like it was supposed to look. The little guy's cute. There's something cathartic about smushing a guy on the ground. Uh, I don't know what that says about anybody. Maybe it's best not to poke that bear. 
All right, back to you in the studio. Hey, Atari fans, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Card by Card podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer, the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. So here's the thing about Human Cannonball. I like the game. It's simplicity in itself, right? You shoot a guy out of a cannon, he lands in the water bucket, or he doesn't. You can mess a little bit with the trajectory, um, I guess, the speed. You can position the water bucket a little bit, although, as I said, that's not really very easy to do. But it's kind of like uh, Circus Atari. You really just want to make the little stick figure flap his arms in the air and go splat. That's kind of the whole point of the game. It, it's fun for a few minutes. Probably little kids... I uh, would like it uh, for longer, maybe than a few minutes. It's fine. There's nothing really to complain about. I mean, this is no pitfall we're talking about. It's just a little diversion. So with that, why don't we get to story time? Man, I still need a jingle for this. Uh, I could sing you a song, I guess. All right, I won't do that. This week's story is titled, That Kid Sure Plays a Mean Tan and Ball. The first clue that Benny was destined to be a daredevil should have been the umbilical cord bungee jump. No one was the same after that. Not the doctor, not the nurses, definitely not Benny's mom. Benny's mom bore a certain amount of blame, or possibly credit, for sealing Benny's future with her odd, or perhaps fortuitous, decision to give birth on top of Trump Tower, New York City. However it happened, Benny's path was forged. At two months of age, Benny rolled over on his own for the first time. This is pretty young, and perhaps therefore not expecting it, Benny's mom missed it completely. However, it was hard for her to miss, and easy for her to be confused, by the line of baby rattles he rolled through slalom style along the railing leading downstairs. At a year old, Benny learned how to do wheelies in his stroller while his mother talked to her friend Madge and missed the whole thing again. Nobody had cell phone cameras then, not even child protective services. At two years old, Benny got hold of a box of birthday candles and ate them. They were lit. And meant for his brother, not for Benny. Even though he never went anywhere, being only a toddler, Benny was grounded for a week. Mom's grasp on parenting was a bit tenuous. At five, while Benny's brother was scoring the winning hit in a little league game, Benny constructed a child-sized hang glider from hot dog wrappers and launched himself off the visitor's dugout. One of the brothers got a trophy. The other got grounded. You can guess which is which. Why would you do something like that? Benny's mother asked him. Um, to clean up the trash? Little Benny said. He didn't get to watch MacGyver that night. On the last day of elementary school, all the other kids' parents took them out for ice cream. Instead of enjoying some rocky road, Benny locked himself in the walk-in freezer to see how long he could last. The night janitor finally let him out, grinning and shivering. When he was 14, a woman with green hair and half-moon-shaped glasses asked Benny if he'd like a job sweeping out the elephant cages at the circus. He jumped at it, but spent most of his time hanging around the performers, trapeze artists and whatnot. Benny's mom never asked where he disappeared to every day after school. She just hoped wherever he was, their insurance was paid up. Benny got to know the circus performers pretty well. The clowns showed how they all fit into that car. Benny learned how to roll out of the safety net the trapeze artists used in practice, and eventually he got to climb the ladder, at least when the ringmaster wasn't looking. Whenever his mom did ask where Benny was going, if she did ask, he just said he had a gig handing out flyers for the circus in parking lots and stuff. She never questioned it. That's nice, dear. Just be safe. 
By the time he graduated high school, Benny could walk the tightrope and was getting pretty good on the trapeze. In practice, anyway. Never in a regular performance. Benny, though, hoped to change that. Artie, the ringmaster, was a squat, fire hydrant-shaped man of 50 or so, and he'd seen some stuff in his time. He looked Benny up and down as the teenager steeled himself. What do you want? Artie barked. Put me in the show, Benny said. I'm good enough. I can catch. And I forward roll faster than anyone you've got. Benny couldn't believe how pushy he was being, but it just felt right. Artie sneered. Still, some fresh talent might not be a bad idea. So he said okay. Benny worked up a routine with Darlene, Mistress of the Heights, and was set to debut two weeks later. When the day came, to great applause, Darlene and Benny stepped into the center ring. But then he saw her. Benny's mom and his dopey brother were in the stands. What were they doing here? And then his mom saw Benny. What was he doing here? In tights. With a girl. Mother and son shared quizzical looks. Benny shook it off and executed a stunning routine full of splits and whips and a flawless bird's nest with a shooting star as a showstopper. When Benny and Darlene were done, they were met with thunderous applause, except from Benny's mom. She just shook her head and left the big top. Benny was crushed. He never got on a trapeze again. He never went home again, either. He tried studying accounting, but it didn't add up. <laughs> he worked for a while in retail, but couldn't sell himself on it. His stand-up comedy career fizzed, too. The lure of the big top was too strong. One afternoon, feeling nostalgic, Benny went to visit Darlene. As he waited, Tiberius, the circus's longest-serving human cannonball, was celebrating his 93rd birthday by attempting to launch himself 93 feet in the air and 93 feet across the field before landing in a bucket of water. Kent, who was assisting, tried to talk Tiberius out of it, but Tiberius, perhaps owing to a lifelong career of falling on his head, was stubborn. Tiberius, groaning all the while from arthritis, climbed into the cannon. The spring was activated, and the launch... Well, it didn't go as well as it might have. And just like that, there was an opening with the circus for a human cannonball. Benny leapt, or perhaps sprung, at the chance. And he was a natural. He had no fear of heights, and his soaring and rolling training from the trapeze days served him well. This felt like his destiny. He wondered if he should tell his mom. He couldn't bring himself to do it, though. He did tell his brother, who only asked, Human cannonball, is that like a Roman candle? Finally, the big day came. Butterflies did somersaults through Benny's psyche, not from nerves, but from anticipation of leaping into the life he was meant to have. He strapped on the helmet, slipped into the warm embrace of the cold steel cannon, and with a quick intake of breath, was airborne. The ground rushed beneath his feet in mere moments. Benny was an eagle soaring over his domain before he landed smack in the middle of the warmth and security of an inviting, womb-like pool. Benny climbed almost reluctantly from the bucket and wiped the water from his eyes, which still stung from the acrid gunpowder lingering in the air. The thunderous applause faded in his ears as he scanned the crowd, concerned only for one person. And as usual, he didn't see her. But then, a familiar voice called. That all you got? It said. Benny turned and saw his mom poised near the spring release mechanism behind the cannon. You can do better than that, she said, as if she was reproaching him for not eating his green beans at dinner when he was a child. I didn't know you were behind me, Benny said. I've always been behind you, dear, she said. Want to go again? Turns out, before Benny was born, his mom was a longtime circus performer. That would explain the beard. And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com 
for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks also to Mike Mann for his Mad Mike Hughes update theme. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers, including Stitcher, iHeartRadio, the one that you're using right now. But make sure wherever you go to listen that you use your words like gunpowder to launch yourself at Apple Podcasts and leave a review in the bucket of water waiting there. Then, gather all your friends under the big top and tell them to listen to this show. You can also support the show financially at the Atari Bytes Patreon page or by picking up Atari Bytes merchandise in the still-existing but still pantyless Atari Bytes merchandise store at Zazzle.com. Our website is ataribytes.libson.com. You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the Atari Bytes Facebook page, follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also check out occasional weirdness at Instagram. Links to all of this stuff in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my other show, It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown, for all your Peanuts gang needs. Whether it's the comic strips, the TV shows, the movies, the merchandise, books about Peanuts, the mind of Schultz himself, we cover everything on that podcast. If you are even a passing fan of Snoopy and the gang, or if you know someone who is, and you do, I am sure of that, go check out its podcast, Charlie Brown, on the 15th of every month. Next time on Atari Bites. Basketball. Yep, we're hitting the boards and shooting three-pointers from downtown. Or something. Next week on the podcast. So tune in for that. And until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.